NPR. Waylon, why did you get into journalism? Well, Mary, I guess I like to help people understand the world around them. I love that. But how do you know that you're helping people? Mm, Well, every once in a while, I do get a nice email. Oh, so how many people would you estimate you're helping? (laughs) Um, Judging by the number (laughs) of emails, like not that many. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to figure out if you've calculated a range for how much you're helping, like per episode and per listener in terms of units of happiness and or satisfaction. Um, You know what's not helping, Mary, is all these questions because now I'm just getting really anxious and stressed out. I know, right? I'm so sorry. But there is a relatively small but buzzy philanthropic movement that has opted into this stress. It's called effective altruism. It's basically a philosophical lens that uses the language of economics with a goal of of maximizing everyone's overall well-being. Ah, yes. Effective altruism. I know that Sam Bankman-Fried, lately of FTX, is a big proponent of this movement. Yes, that's correct. It is big among tech and crypto people. SBF even used it as a justification for why he went into crypto and why crypto is good. The uh, industry has the potential to improve a lot of people's lives. That's him testifying before Congress before the collapse of his exchange, FTX. Man, with hindsight, those words just uh, bring a little different. They hit different, yeah. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Mary Childs. Today on the show, we learn what it means to be more effective in your altruism, how it borrows from economics, and why tech bros are so into it. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. Discover Babson College's Master of Science in Management and Entrepreneurial Leadership Program, an intensive nine-month journey that equips recent college graduates with practical skills for today's dynamic business landscape. Tackle real-world challenges and emerge with a problem-solving mindset. Whether you choose to start your own business or innovate within a corporation, a master's from Babson will help launch your career forward. Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. So after FTX collapsed, I got a little bit obsessed with effective altruism. And I found myself turning to this one person who is very well-versed in this stuff and also happens to be an old friend of mine. Amy Berg is an assistant professor of philosophy at Oberlin College. Effective altruism has its roots in the moral philosophy called utilitarianism. And utilitarians thought happiness is what matters. So the early utilitarians especially are like, it's not fair that some children get to live like Lord Fauntleroy and wear like frilly breeches and others work in the coal mines and they die of the black lung when they're seven. Everyone's happiness matters equally. I don't think I can come up with objections to that statement. Me neither, especially the part about the frilly breaches. But Mm. isn't this the basis for a lot of philanthropy, not just EA? Yes, but basically effective altruists say that other philanthropy is ineffective because it's emotional. It's random. It's not rigorous or scientific. And so effective altruists thought, we could do this better. Let's go out and do the kinds of things economists do. And if we do that enough over and over, we go out and gather enough evidence about the good that our charitable donations are actually having. We can use that to figure out what charities are actually doing the most good. And then people can use that evidence to guide their own decision making. 
We can't all be Bill Gates, but we can all figure out how to make our little piles of money have the maximum possible impact. The pitch is really you can do a tremendous amount of good. Like, you can save a life. So if there's a slogan for effective altruism, it's let's use evidence and reason to figure out how we can do the most good, and then let's go out and do it. There are a few effective altruist organizations that gather empirical data on what interventions help the most. Classically, this is in the area of global health. If you look at GiveWell, which is one of the big effective altruist organizations, the third-ranked charity is a charity that is devoted to making sure that kids get vitamin A supplements because vitamin A is really important for preventing blindness. So that is the effective part. Okay, but then... For example, I am really into the arts, and I see a lot of value in the arts, but I'm not sure how I would go about making an empirical argument for it. Like, would an effective altruist tell me not to give to the arts? Basically, yes. They use a a three-part framework for figuring out what causes are the most effective. So um, how important is it, how neglected is it, and how tractable is it? So how important, how many lives am I going to save, how neglected are other people working on it and how tractable, how much can my individual donation change things? Art stuff, not super neglected. They're also not tractable. You can't solve <laughs> art annoyingly. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> We're like, I can really, if I'm a billionaire and I give money to lead paint eradication in the United States, I could potentially wipe out lead paint in the United States if I have enough money to give away. I kind of wish someone would just do that. Yes, yes. I can get behind lead paint eradication. This movement does seem to attract billionaires. Like at times, Elon Musk has expressed interest in this. Is he still a billionaire? That's a really good question. And it reminds me of another question I had for Amy. A lot of the logic feels right, feels intuitive, but the logic can also lead to really goofy outcomes. And I think one of them that I recall was buying Twitter. (laughs) I just didn't see that coming in my logic chain. If you convince yourself that you run the numbers just right, you can convince yourself that just about anything is the way to maximize utility. There's a a lot of room for self-deceit. One EA school of thought encourages becoming as rich as possible specifically to use that money to go wipe out big problems. It's not as widely promoted now as it was, but it's called earn to give, as in earn all of the money possible in order to give more money away. This is what SBF said he was doing with FTX. But that just sounds like it gets so messy. Like even setting aside the FTX example, it's like, should I go work for a fossil fuel company to make a ton of money so I can give it away to causes that fight climate change? Amy Berg says. Yeah, literally, yes. Like, literally, that is what you could say if you're an EA, because if you don't work for a fossil fuel company, it's not like they're going to say, oh, you know, Wayland didn't come work for us. So I guess we have to shut down now and climate change is fixed forever. They're going to hire somebody else. And if you run the numbers just right, maybe that's even more effective than if you stopped flying, ate only local produce, you know, bought an electric car, did whatever else normal people do to fight climate change. It just really seems to reinforce the status quo. Yeah, this is not a movement about overthrowing global capitalism. And in part, that comes down to EA's insistence on achievable outcomes. Like, say your number one cause was chicken welfare, which, by the way, is a real top-ranked cause because effective altruists extend their philosophy to all living beings, and there are a lot of chickens to help. Got it. So just up the good vibes generally, whether they be human or chicken. 
Yes, exactly. But what if the right answer to chicken suffering is not rescue a few chickens, but pass a law that says no more factory farming? We don't really have any evidence about what's going to create systemic change because you can't do a randomized controlled trial on the U.S. with no factory farming versus the U.S. with factory farming and see how the chickens do. California actually did pass a law a little while back saying that all eggs sold in the state must come from cage-free chickens. So there's an opportunity to get some empirical data. But it does seem like, generally speaking, political action is kind of a struggle to pitch to EAs. Yeah, I think for a lot of EAs, it comes down to this modern political nihilism. This idea that our government is just too inept or polarized or whatever to get much of anything done. Um, I think a lot about how this ideology rose with the number of billionaires in the world. It seems like, yes, it gives you kind of a useful mechanism to shovel money faster. But is is it doing other things for billionaires? Is it like a useful ideology for billionaires in a way? Yeah, because if you can run the numbers and justify trusting yourself to give away your money, then you don't have to worry about whether you could give your money away more effectively through taxation. And then you wind up maybe even advocating for not raising taxes on the ultra wealthy because you think this is the most effective way for me to give away my money. Well, Waylon, I personally have to go have a real think on how I'm going to shovel all my money out the door fast enough. You could buy a castle. Didn't some EAs just do that? Oh, yes. And that's a great idea. I will. This episode was produced by Audrey Dilling with engineering by Catherine Silva. Sierra Juarez checked the facts. Viet Le is our senior producer. And Kate Kincannon edits the show. The Indicator is a production of NPR. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without cobalt. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.